0: Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of The A-List, the podcast that asks the world's top advertising professionals how they got started in the business. I'm Tom Chrisman, Chief Creative Officer at DeMassimo Goldstein, an inspiring action agency in New York City. Today, I talk to David Baldwin, CEO and founder of Baldwin & in Raleigh, North Carolina, named Small Agency of the Year twice in its first five years by AdAge and the four A's. He's also a former chairman of the One Club in New York City and the executive producer of a great Emmy award-winning film called Art and Copy uh, that everyone should watch uh, if you're into the business. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about advice that he would give. Spoiler alert, it's Shut Up and Listen, and uh, a book called From the Wonderful Folks, who gave you Pearl Harbor? A book by Jerry Della Famina that, again, uh, I don't know if it's even in print anymore, but uh, it's a great it's a great read about advertising in the '60s and '70s. And yeah, he's worked everywhere. He is also the brand master of Ponysaurus Brewing, a brewing company. We'll talk a little bit about that. And he has his own agency down in Raleigh, North Carolina, and uh, sounds like a really cool, fun place to work. So we'll we'll talk about that too. But first. The A-List is brought to you by AdHouse Advertising School, advertising age called AdHouse New York's newest, smallest, and arguably hippest ad school. Their philosophy, an ad class, is only as relevant as the professional who teaches it. AdHouse classes are taught by the best in the biz at the agencies where they work. You get 10 weeks of classes for just 600 bucks. To apply, you can go to adhousenyc.com, and for the latest news, follow AdHouseNYC, on Facebook. Yes, they're still on Facebook. I'm, 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 I'm throttling back on the Facebook. So if I unfriended you, then just find me on LinkedIn. We'll be okay. So you can follow me on Twitter at Mongo Industries. Um, you can check out Damasimo Goldstein at DiegoBrands.com. The A-list is recorded at Gramercy Post in New York City. Our engineer is Matt Stillo. And now my interview with David Baldwin. David. Hey David Baldwins, Tom Chrisman. How are you? Hey Tom, how are you, man? All right, we finally made it happen. I'm so sorry know, we had to push this off so many times. Uh uh. This it's the embarrassing. We've chosen. Exactly. <laughs> Everything never else comes apologize. first.
1: Advertising means never having to say you're sorry.
0: <laughs> All right, perfect. Uh it's a real honor to talk to you. Uh, I've I've been uh reading about you and um and uh you you've been everywhere it seems. Thanks, man. And, yeah, uh, and yeah I, I can't wait to hear your story. Um, how we usually like to start is at the beginning. Um, where did you grow up, David Baldwin?
1: So um, I actually grew up in El Paso, Texas, um, West Texas, almost, uh, I think I think it might be geographically closer to San Diego than it is to Austin. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, so it's this kind of tucked away uh, town that, you know, we would... We probably got bell bottoms four years after uh, everybody else got bell bottoms when I was a kid. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. Just this tiny little town. That's you know it's bigger now, of course, but uh, it's a, it was a great place to grow up. Really friendly, kind of protected place.
0: So and, and how did you how did you find advertising? What was the what was the the thing that got you into it? And...
1: Yeah. So my mom, my mother was a media person at an ad agency. Uh-huh. So I. I, I kind of joke around. I feel like I've been in advertising since I was twelve. Yeah, um, yeah. I used to go into uh, the office. She worked at a, a little agency there called De Brian Reddick. Okay. Um, at the time, and uh, and so you know, I used to as a kid. I used to go to uh, go go to see my mother at work, and uh, there were these guys in the back, like these creative dudes. You know, <laughs> they had like the old art directors' tables. Yeah. And uh, you'd kind of go, "What are those guys doing back there?" You know, and and they were. I think they were they were called at the time art directors and commercial artists, which I always I always thought it was kind of the the, the, the term was commercial artists. But uh, yeah,
0: that's right.
1: Man, those guys are. Yeah,
0: in, in high school I, I took commercial art, and it was yeah. It's, Is that right? Uh, yeah, you yeah. don't uh, you don't hear about commercial art anymore.
1: Yeah, they don't call it they don't call it that anymore. But you know, they had a Lucy. Remember the Lucy? Yes, of <laughs>
0: course. That's how you blew things up before the uh, yeah. the uh, the computer helped you. Yeah. Do
1: so it. It, you know, I, I kind of grew up around it, and always yeah. thought it looked like a, a, a kind of an interesting way to make a living. I, I wanted to be a musician as well, and uh, kind of had advertising as a as a backup plan. And it turned out I was way better at advertising. Yeah, you
0: flipped than. it on its head because you're still uh, you are the lead singer and lead uh, guitarist of Pants.
1: Well, I, you know the the, the, band, I, I oh, no. that, the band's dead. Oh no, band. You guys broke role. up. Yeah, well, you know, it, it was a bunch of people that worked together, and uh, two of the guys went and got jobs
0: oh, at another man. agency,
1: and the the band broke up. But uh, you can still get our CD; it's still on uh, our record is still on uh, on iTunes.
0: That's amazing. But uh, download yeah, download but pants today.
1: Fun. Yeah, the the record's called Twice the Snake You Need. <laughs> so. <laughs> That's so, so search. Okay. Search twice the snake you need, and you'll find it on Spotify or on uh, on iTunes. So, it was good fun.
0: So you always kind of knew about this advertising thing, and that you could do it, and and so did you. How did you first pursue it? You were you you just went to college, and
1: yeah, I I always had it in the back of, of back of my head that I would uh, I had an agreement with myself that if I hadn't didn't have an indication by the time I was you know twenty uh, that I could make a living at music, that I would go kind of whole hog on advertising. So I had kind of both both paths going at the same time, and I went to the University of Texas, and yeah. so I went through that Texas program.
2: Yeah.
1: And uh, literally on my 20th birthday, I was like, I'm not, I don't think I'm going to make a living making music. So I, I was all in on advertising. And, you know, by then, I guess you're a junior or whatever you are in, in college. So yeah, um, And just doubled down on it. And, you know, I just loved it. I, I really loved yeah. it. I, I knew it was an alternative, and I felt very lucky compared to a lot of kids I see today who sort of stumbled onto it a little bit later or didn't know that this is a viable, you know, job. Yeah. And I always knew that. And so I, I, I do feel very lucky that I, I was able to sort of double down on it at an early age and, and, and figure out that this is what I wanted to do.
0: And who were you? Were you following uh, creatives at the time and sort of who did you want to be? Like, who were you emulating when you decided to, uh,
2: yeah. to go home? Yeah, uh, such a great...
1: Yeah, such a great question because back then Scally was, you know, uh Ali Gargano was just amazing at the time. They were doing Federal Express and they were mm-hmm. doing, you know, all these just fantastic work and Scally was was the the king of Madison Avenue at the time, Scally McCabe Sloves. And mm-hmm. um, um you know, you had uh Amirotti and Purist, you had all this just this guard of the old guard of sort of second wave of of revolution, you know, agencies and yeah. and um and you know, back then, it was it was a it was a tighter knit group of great people at the time. Like there were there were these sort of superheroes in the business, you mm-hmm. know. And uh, you know, I, I remember when I first went up to New York. I, I started in New York City, and and I was just bound and determined to to live in New York. And uh, you know, I, one of my, I think my second interview was Gary Goldsmith.
2: Yeah. And
1: uh, Gary Goldsmith was running shy at New York at the time and oh wow yeah you know, they were doing that great 9x campaign and just so much so much fantastic work coming out of that yeah. out of that shop yeah and uh, Gary was so kind to me in tearing my in me sort of a new asshole in a great way you know what I mean yeah. <laughs> he, he just absolutely sort of trashed my work in the in the sort of most wonderfully encouraging way you know and and it was it was fantastic and I'd had a sort of disastrous interview. Like two days before that, where the per, a person told me I should consider getting. Out of the
0: business. Really, he
1: literally, oh, it was horrible. And then it on a, top it of that,
0: Gary a, was was also trashing your stuff. But well, in a yeah, but way. Gary,
1: it's funny. I walked out of the one interview shaken, and I walked out of the Gary interview excited. That's that's the magic of Gary Goldsmith. The guy was great, you know, and uh, he was encouraging and in he was he was you know kind of steel steel, but. His opinions were, you know, like, they were unbending, but he was great. He, yeah. he was encouraging, and he, I kind of walked out of there seeing possibility Whereas the other guy just made me feel horrible. Yeah. This and other, also... I have to say this...
2: Sorry, go ahead. This,
1: let me just tell the story. This, yeah. this other guy, I don't want to say who he is okay. because he's probably still around, but mm-hmm. he, uh, he was so miserable. He, What he would do is he would make me read my headlines to him and then cut me off in the middle and go, too long! <laughs>
0: That's, so so,
1: amazing. that's my first interview in New York City
0: oh my guy. god, so you picked up and went to New York without a job just kind of yeah. said, I'm going to find a job how, where did you live? Yeah. how did you live? Um,
1: I lived at, with the kind uh, it kind of depended on the kindness of strangers I, I lived with some friends that I went to school with who did get jobs I uh, back in the day, they, they had this uh, dancer Fitzgerald Sample had this program where um, you there was an intern program where they would hire like 12 people and they would fly you up and uh, they flew about four four of us up from from Texas, and they hired, they hired. I guess they only hired one of us, but they didn't hire me. Wow. Uh, but that friend of mine got a job, and another friend of mine got a job, and I stayed. I kind of slept on their floor and abused the privilege, you know, for, for yeah. a couple of months. And looking back, I'm sort of embarrassed that I ab- abused the privilege for so long. But, yeah. But they were great, and they let me stay there, and then, I, you know, I had to find my own place. That's
0: that amazing. But, Where did you live when you first got here to New York? I lived on
1: 27th. And Lexington, I mm-hmm. believe. Um, yeah, that's a rough, and that's because, a rough uh,
0: area at that time.
1: <laughs> well, you know, it was it was uh, what what's that what's it called? Park the uh,
0: Madison Square Madison Square Park.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know which one it is, but yeah, it, it actually was it actually was quite nice.
0: You yeah. Know? Okay. Um, but we, right.
1: we four guys in a one bedroom apartment was a little
0: bit rough. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Uh, and where did you finally end up getting a job? Uh, your what was your first job? Like what, what happened after the yeah. Gary Goldsmith interview? Did you go back and like redo your book and just kind of? Yes. Okay.
1: I did. I, I did my. I redid my book every day. I was redoing stuff. Wow. And um, and um, it's funny. I, I I got to a point where I advise kids all the time. I'm like, if you if you want to, if you want to get a job in a city, you got to kind of move to the just move to the city. Just move yeah. there. You know. Yeah. And um, I was just looking everywhere. And back in back in those days, you had to walk your portfolios around. So I think I had sure. like five portfolios and. It was it was high summer, you know, walking around New York City with these portfolios wearing a jacket.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Oh my god. And uh and uh I you know, I, I had uh, I had an interview at Lord Geller Federico and Einstein. I don't know if you remember that place.
0: I don't uh, know.
1: Yeah, they had Lord Geller had they had IBM at the time. They were okay. doing Charlie Chaplin IBM campaign yep, and yep. um, some really, really some really great work. And uh I, w- I went in there and, and uh and met with uh, Arthur Einstein I think and he was great. And mm-hmm. uh he was really interested in me at that point and, and uh, did not offer a job, but then I had a, 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 another interview at McCaffrey McCall. Mm-hmm. You remember that place? Yeah. You remember McCaffrey I do. McCall? I do, yeah. 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 So, so uh, I got an offer from Lord, Lord, from Lord Geller uh, to, to start in the mailroom. And they said that's how they start their writers at the time. Yeah. And uh, I think that was a clear signal of where my book was. But, <laughs> uh, but, uh, and I got a phone call the exact same day. Uh, from McCaffrey McCall offering me a job as a copywriter. So obviously I took the copywriter job.
0: Yeah. And what what advice would you, if you could talk to yourself back then now, like what what advice would you give yourself?
1: Yeah, it's funny. I, I don't know how transferable advice is anymore as far yeah. as kind of getting a job. I think uh, I've said this many, many times, and so I'll say it again. I think I had such a bad attitude kind of growing up. I, I didn't understand... I didn't understand sort of the humility at the time, oh. and I, I was a little bit of an asshole. I mean, I was just—I just—I I was nice to people. I didn't treat people badly, but I just—I was—I was very cocky, and, and uh, I think I would tell myself, "Shut up and listen."
0: Right. Myself, okay. You know? So you, you were—you were cocky because you just felt like, "Well, I—I know what I'm doing, and I'm gonna—I'm gonna rule the world. I'm gonna be the best."
1: Yeah, I, I i had this I had this sort of manifest destiny sort, sort of thing that I thought I was going to do, which is funny because I got trashed in all my interviews here.
0: <laughs> right? But, yeah. Uh, <laughs> do you yeah, think that's because that's they saw that in you and they were like, "Oh, I got to take this chip off his shoulder"? Or this? Uh, Could be. Yeah.
1: That's actually great. That's good. Very, very possible. Yeah. Who
0: and knows? Gary was from Texas as well, right? You guys had that. Well, entire... he
1: was. Yeah he, he he went through my program, which is how I sort of got him right. to uh, you know to see me. But he also had gone to Art Center, so.
0: He had gone through both both programs. So, you didn't. You um, didn't do that. You didn't go to uh, sort of. Uh, they, did they have portfolio schools at that time? Was there? I guess Art Center was was around.
1: No, the Art Center. Well, so it's funny. Um, at the time, uh, there's there, you know the Texas Creative Program is very good.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, back the then it
1: was it, it was run by a guy named Leonard Rubin, and uh-huh. uh, he was a New York. I think he'd worked at YNR in the sixties and seventies, and uh-huh. uh, had had gone to Texas as a as a professor. And what was great about him? This was um, I think a transformative sort of educational experience for me was he he treated you like you were in the business. I mean, on the first day of class, he said you you know you're beginning class. He said you're you are now in the business, and if you're late, I'm gonna shut the door, and you're not gonna be able to come in. Mm-hmm. And if you miss an assignment, you're fired. And he would kick you out of class. Wow, kicks people out of class all the time. So, so you were not allowed to screw up in front of this guy. And, and he was uh, he just said you know this is not pretend. It's not a pretend fun job like you think it is. It's it's. Rewarding and wonderful, but it's it's hard work. Yeah, and uh, and so that was a three semester program. So you know you you can imagine a three semester program where you're you're learning everything in, in three semesters versus a two year program like Art Center. So we got up and I would see books from from Art Center and just go holy shit. Yeah, you know, like the the level of of thinking and uh, and finish compared to what we had was it was unbelievable.
0: Yeah. So, so that McCaffrey and McCall was where you ended up taking the job uh what was what was that job and and uh how was that what was your first what was your first experience like in an actual agency in new york city
1: yeah i was i was a junior copywriter and uh david mccall was um i'm gonna get this a little bit wrong but david david mccall i believe was david ogilvy's first copy chief wow um and had left to start his own agency so he he uh you know, sort of all the Ogilvy rules were sort of firmly in, in place. and uh,
0: What were those? And, uh, what, what kind of things? Oh, you
1: know, like some of, it, some, of it was, some of it was sort of philosophical, and some of it was sort of the technology of the day that you can't drop type out of a photograph because it's hard to read and all that sort of
2: mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm.
1: It was just very, honestly, a really good education on yeah. it, you know, in sort of what you can and can't do, but some of it doesn't transfer at all. Right. And then some of it was, you know, treat the reader with respect and all of those things. Yeah. Um, very, very, um, a, a copywriter shop, you know. And, yeah. Uh, but, but like uh, one of the creative directors there was a guy named Tom Yoey who had created Schoolhouse Rock. Oh, wow. And they were doing, they were doing interesting stuff, yeah. So,
0: yeah, that's cool. That's culture. That is uh, yeah, creating was, culture and content. Uh, exactly. Before we called it was that. was really
1: cool. <laughs> so, so, that, so my first job was, you know, I think my first assignment was on a... A beer called Swan Lager from Perth, Australia. Oh wow! And uh, you know, again, that was back in. The, I don't know if it was that kind of shop or not, but that was back in the day where you got three months to do an assignment. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah sure. Uh, yeah, I, I watch. I watch Mad Men, uh, and I just recall like back in the early days when you had like a whole week to do uh, to do a print ad, and uh, it's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy to yeah. think about. Yeah. Um, what, what, did you have a partner? Did you, uh, as a, as a cocky young upstart, what was it like having a partner and what did you learn there?
1: Well, here's the, the here's the truth. I mean, honestly, I had a, a partner named Steve Rudder who is, uh, out at BBOS West now, yeah. still a dear, dear friend of mine. Steve carried me. I mean, he was so much better than I was <laughs> and I learned, I learned off of him. I mean, I, I really did learn so much from Steve. So shout out to Steve Rudder.
0: So he was a little bit more experienced than you. He had been there a little while longer.
1: I think he'd been there. I think he'd been there a year. Yeah, right. And I, you know, the poor bastard got saddled with me. You know, um, <laughs> and we got along great as as people. And uh, I'm sure I was very trying to him. You know, and I had a, a sort of short fuse, and again, I was a little bit impatient, and all those things you sort of learn, you know, how not to be. But I was just utterly unprepared for New York City as you know, kid from a small town in Texas, and then kind of just thrust into this big job in new york city so so steve was fantastic and and i and i really learned a lot a lot from him and steve and i are still friends to this day and um and continued working together we freelanced together a little bit after i had left mccaffrey and he had gone to i think mccann erickson at the time Uh and um and we just continued to work together he's just such a great guy yeah it's
0: such a small industry and uh has always been and i think still is and yeah word gets around (laughs) <laughs> you're does. a jerk, you know.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, it really does, and I and I, I learned I learned that. Yeah, you
0: know? I yeah, definitely learned that. So I was so. really interested in uh, your art and copy movie, which I, I remember yeah. I remember watching at the time, and um, just because it, it's so uh, sort of uh, parallel to what we're doing here, you know, on a very much smaller scale of talking to yeah. people and how they got into the business. Um, t- is, was that sort of a, a labor of love for you for the sort of industry that you had seen coming up? And how did that yeah, come about, so that art and copy movie? I know we're jumping in time a little bit.
1: Not at all. No, 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 not at all. I'm very, very proud of, of sort of my association in that and the work we did in that. So I was chairman of the One Club at the time. Uh-huh. We're flashing forward 20, 20 years, yeah. 20-something years. Uh, I was chairman of the One Club, and um, one of the one of the things I wanted to do as the chairman of the board was to try to um, push the One Club and the One Show into pop culture, and um, it was one of the three, you know, things that I wanted to do um, as a, as sort of the head of that board mm-hmm. um, at the time. And and um, you know, so we were always looking for opportunities to do that, and um, we had a board meeting once where uh there was a conversation around we have these amazing Hall of Fame people are still alive, you know, what what are we gonna do with them? And somebody said, you know, we should film I have no idea who, who said what by the yeah. way So somebody said, you know, we should we should film them. We yeah. should get them, just do little interviews with, with them and it turned into suddenly by the end of this thing we're like, you know what we should do is make a movie. Yeah. And very quickly you know, it's a bunch of creative directors, so we said, Well if we're gonna make a movie it needs to be a great movie needs <laughs> to yeah, be yeah. A legit movie, you know, yeah. and so, uh, Mary Warlick at the time was the CEO of the club, and, uh, and, um, so, you know, the board the board voted to do this, and, uh, we brought on, uh, Kirk Sauter and Greg Beauchamp and said, you know, you guys go off and think about what, how we could do this, mm-hmm. you know, and so they're the other executive producers on it. So, um uh, and they came back with a treatment, and, and the idea was just super, very simple, which was, um, you know, a, a, as one of the most prevalent, Art forms of the 20th century, and honestly, in history, mm. advertising is the only art form where you don't know who's behind it. Yeah, uh, the the creators are anonymous to society, and so we said, how do we sort of bring forward what, what who those people are, what they do, how they've done it, and uh, you know, and and kind of lift the lift the veil a little bit. And you know, the the club has always been, you know, good creative is good for business, and so yeah. That's, that, that was the mission of the club and and
0: that's what we were trying to do at the time so that's great i i yeah. I, re- I remember thinking that like you know every other thing I'd ever seen on like ad people you know ad wizards was it was always the sort of uh the the media story, which is like these are the persuaders, these are the guys who know what to say yeah. to get you to trick you into buying that new car, or you know like yeah. they're these yeah. sort of uh, charlatans, and this was a this was a, a different take and it was a it was looking at it as like these guys are artists and they yeah. do things yeah. uh, and and they're yeah they're anonymous and you don't know they' because yeah. even David Ogilvy like I say that to my mom you know and she still is like I don't know who's David Ogilvy you know it's <laughs> it's advertising famous you know but yeah, uh, yeah. but it is so much of uh, pop culture and and the things we see every day yeah. uh, are created by these people um, yeah Absolutely, and and to have, you know, to have those people. What did? What was the? What was the? The biggest thing you learned from that? Like, what was that like? Creating that movie.
2: Um,
1: I, you know, I, something that I think you you already know, and I already know, but that is very cemented. Which is, let's be honest, it's not a noble profession for the most part. It's ninety five percent horrible. You know, ninety five percent of what's created is drek and it yeah. is. A blight on our culture, yeah. And yet, there's this five percent, and mm. I'm being probably generous, but there's this five percent that people actually love, and yeah. that people really get into, and that um, everybody says they hate advertising, but everybody has a favorite commercial, you know?
2: right? Right.
1: And it's that wonderful sentence that Howard Gothic said, you know, which is um, people don't aren't interested in advertising; they're interested in what they're interested in. Yeah. I just butchered that that quote, but
0: sometimes you know, they'll, they'll read
1: what yeah. they're interested in. Yeah. And um, and I think that's what those people—that's what Lee Clow and Jeff Goodby and Rick Silverstein and Hal Ryan and all the people in that movie—understand is that uh, when we get it right, we're not doing anything different than what great sort of promotion has always done, which is engage people. Yeah. And uh, and I, and and there are people behind that. There are human beings behind that making yeah. really brave decisions, and uh, it. It's funny, you don't think it's brave to be human and honest, but that's what's brave. That's the brave part is is daring to not just sort of do the crap you know and right. uh, so I, I, I love sort of just hearing that from those those people and and the other is the other thing is you know we, we really made that movie for kind of the, the, the client the client world. As much as anything, just to get to see those people and their passions, and uh, but it, it, I think it, it spoke to a lot of it spoke to a lot of different audiences.
0: Yeah, it's it's it is like it's so rare that you get to see um, those people's stories um, and hear how passionate and serious they are about about their about their jobs. That's what I love yeah. about doing this podcast is I get to hear sort yeah. of how it came about. And every story starts with, like, I had no idea what I was doing, um, yeah. which I think is, is really both inspiring for uh, younger people uh, getting into the business and uh, just kind of like, wow, that's, that's amazing that, that, you know, you guys aren't all uh, ready from day one, you know? So let's yeah. let's go back to, uh, so your first job is at McCaffrey McCall. Yeah. You stay there for about a year. You go to Delafamina. Yeah, you're,
1: you're in a few months.
0: Um, you head to Delafamina, which is which was yeah, so, the, one of the bad boy agencies, right?
1: Well, it's funny when I went to when I went to Delafamina. I think the year before that they were called Delafamina Travisano and literally I think like a year later they were Della you know, Delafamina McDamie WCRS ball partnership. You know? Oh
2: something, right, something, okay, something. right.
1: And um, and so, but uh, I think you know they had been in the one show like you know seven pages, and you know, in pencils, and, like, they just killed it. Yeah. And it was a chance to work for Jerry Dalton, Right. You know, and, uh, again, like, one of the Hall of Fame really inspiring guys in this business. And it's, it's funny to look back in the 80s and 90s if you turned on CNN, like, and they were talking about communications or advertising, it was Jerry.
0: Yeah, Jerry was the the, the, the Donnie yeah. Deutsch of his time, or, or I don't know who's <laughs> the equivalent now.
1: Yeah, I don't either. Yeah. I, I think it's sort of sad that I don't think we have an equivalent right.
2: anymore.
0: But yeah.
1: But uh, but you know Jerry was just one of those guys again, all about honesty and authenticity. And, and authenticity is a dangerous word, right? I mean, we all know it's a sort of it, it's an overused bankrupt word. But but mm-hmm. a, a, a guy that was totally for real. Yeah. You know. And for any student out there, I would recommend they read from those wonderful people who brought you Pearl Harbor.
0: Oh, what a great you- title for a book and a great book. Yeah. Yeah.
1: If you've never talked about that book on this podcast, like, everybody should read it. It's yeah. just so fun. I and
0: can't remember if I have. It's called From Those Wonderful People Who Brought You Pearl Harbor, which—tell that story.
1: Yeah, so so it's, it's just Jerry's exploits in the late 60s and early 70s about kind of going from, I believe, creative director at Gray to starting his own agency and just all of the different crazy things that, that happened and, and how they really rolled the dice. It's a great story in there where they, they literally had no clients, no money. They were out of money. And they threw this they just were like, screw it. They threw this huge party and uh and invited every agency, every client, ever they threw this blowout with the rest of their money. And uh in a in a sort of last ditch attempt to be like, Hey, we're doing great, you yeah. know? And they ended up getting all these clients from it. Which was amazing. And that's what really sort of started them off on sort of their journey and uh and Jerry Jerry built uh Jerry and Ron just built this amazing agency and it just you know, again, like I'm, I, I still am sort of connected to a lot of the people that I worked with during my time there. I think I was there in 1987? Yeah. 80, something like that.
2: Yeah.
1: And um, 86, 87? 86, and, to 88, uh, yeah. Yeah, just fantastic people, you know? Just fantastic people. And so I, I you know, I still kind of, there, there's a, a Facebook group. Called Jerry's kids
2: on. on my <laughs> day, <but laughs> That's awesome.
1: A lot of us will kind of post and still, still talk, but just, it just again, around people much talent, more talented than I was, and able to sort of learn,
2: you yeah. know,
1: yeah. and 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 be taught lessons in humility as well.
0: By the way, uh, which was very helpful. So, and you know, you don't think of Jerry Del Fumina as being humble, <laughs> but you were taught lessons He's, in humility from from that
1: experience. <laughs> I, I probably wasn't taught that by him, but, I mean, certainly <laughs> by other people being so good. But, you know, Jerry's, like, the
0: sweetest guy. No, I now. know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's just, yeah, uh, it's at just... the time, especially, like, he was a, a showman, you know? He was... Yeah, uh, exactly.
1: He was a brash showman.
0: Larger exactly. than you life. And uh, I yep. love I love that book, and, and I have to go read it again, because I read it, last time I read it, I think, in college. That was, like, it we were all obsessed with it. Uh, yeah. yeah. It's
1: fun story after fun story.
0: Yeah. Uh, and... So you you bounced from coast to coast after after Deutsch, right? Is it was it Deutsch? Yeah, so I went
1: that, to Deutsch after Del Semina, and then I I went out to Reine in yeah. San Francisco, and uh, and uh, worked for Hal out there, yeah. and then and then I went up to Colin Weber up in in Portland, Oregon, and it's really it's really uh, you know it's it's funny the 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 Portland experience. I've, I've had two I've had two occasions in my career that. Uh, that I think have been defining, um, defining kind of situations, and both of them were being faced with taking pay cuts uh, for a better situation. Right. And Colin Weber was one of those situations. I was making pretty good money, and I got a phone call from this little weird upstart agency in Portland, Oregon, full of great people, and they offered me a job, and it was for fifty percent of what I was making in San Francisco. Wow. And. And Riney was great.
0: Yeah, Riney was. Where Perrier, right? Like all those. Uh, yeah,
1: Perrier yeah. Alamo. They had Alamo at the time. They yeah. Had Saturn.
0: Iconic Saturn. campaigns with all, mostly yeah. with how Riney's voice on them, right? <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, he was. I mean, again, that guy was a that guy was a genius.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: but yeah, so so I you know I, I I just I I kind of saw that situation and said, oh my god, there's a chance to be one of eight creative people. As wow. Number, or maybe 12.
0: And they were all ex-Wyden, I'm, I'm guessing? Or,
1: no, nobody was ex-Wyden okay.
0: Yet. Yeah.
2: okay.
1: Uh, a lot of them ended up going to Goodby or Wyden. Okay. So, so what, was, what happened, so I, I I took a huge pay cut to go there. It was the, one of the best decisions I've ever made and just was surrounded by fantastic people, great people and great creative people. Yeah. And, uh, and there was also a Seattle office that had um, another compliment of just complete stars. Mark Fensky was there, and Steve Luker was there, and Kevin Jones was there. Wow. Um, I'm gonna, Harvey Marco was there in in Portland. It was Joe Shands and Paul Hirsch and Ron Saltmarsh, Bill Caro, Mark Wagner. Like just I, I'm leaving people out, and yeah. I feel bad. I'm leaving them out, but it was Sally Morrow. Fantastic creative people, and and we just had like a two years a defining two years in that city of just really, really fantastic work. Yeah. And to the point where um, agencies started calling and going like, oh, you only make how much money? <laughs> you know <laughs> what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And we got dismantled, honestly got dismantled by like Goodby and, you know, no, no fault of theirs. I mean, of course, they're looking for talent, but right. Goodby hired like seven people from from the two offices from yeah. Colin wow. And uh, it sort of functionally ended it. I think.
0: Oh, um, they couldn't replace. Thing. They couldn't keep it keep it going. It was it was the Yeah, it was
1: just you, yeah. you can't lose that many people that yeah, in, in, in like a time, 8 yeah. month period, yeah. And so there was a um somebody from Goodby it, it kind of got up to us and we all got our backs up in a funny way, but someone was saying like I think Colin Weber's our farm team. Oh, uh. <laughs> so, but uh but I mean Good you got Goodby at the time. Holy shit. I mean Goodby yeah. was just on fire, you know. And uh and so, uh, and so I, I had the, uh, I had the good fortune to be offered a job to go to Leonard Monaghan in, um, in New England, which yeah. at the time, again, was this really great little gem up in, in New England, very similar to Leonard Monaghan, actually very small. Yeah. And, uh, got a chance to work, you know, with Tom Monaghan, who, again, is one of those kind of ad genius guys, you know, and, uh. And Tom was Tom was sort of leaving to start his own consultancy, and so I I was able to be the creative director there. And David Lubars had had just left. Wow! And
0: uh, and went to he went to Minneapolis.
1: Actually, he went to BBDO West at the time.
0: Oh, okay.
1: He had left to go to BBDO West, and then he went to Minneapolis. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, so you know, um, and then the other time I took the pay cut was to do this. You know, I
0: I I, to start your own thing. Yeah. Let's yeah, talk about that. Been. What was the what was the decision making behind that? You were at McKinney at the time, right? And you had been yeah, there McKinney. for nine or ten years. I was
1: there for ten years. Yeah, fantastic place too. Just a fantastic place with super smart, great people. Um, you know, we've been bought and sold four times at the time, and and uh, and so I, you know, I decided to do this and uh, had the opportunity to kind of go up to New York and do the chief creative officer thing in a couple of different places. I'm not saying I had offers, but I had the Sort of sniffing around to that stuff. And it really made me have an existential conversation with myself about what I wanted to do. And did I want to kind of go pursue the money in the big city and, and do that whole thing? Or did I want to try to carve out my own thing here? And I just I decided to do this here. And, it's, you know, I haven't looked back. It's been almost 10 years. Yeah. Been crazy.
2: Yeah.
0: And so you've like been we doing. Started
2: in
1: the,
0: yeah. Yeah.
1: You know, we started in the depths of uh, 2009, like in the depths of that recession. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, if you recall. It's funny. Cause I do. If you look I at was... a chart of. When we decided we wanted to start the agency, mm-hmm. it was the economy was riding high, and then you know, eight months later, it was.
0: It By the time you actually well. opened it, it was. Uh, yeah. Uh, and who was your first client? How did you How did you work that out? How do you go from, from working at a place to uh, Did you have to sort of assemble your uh, your cast of characters before you?
1: Yeah. Well, I. Heap? Yeah, I had uh, um, had a couple of people that had left mckinney after i did um that were on my list for all-time great people mm-hmm. and uh they they had left and and uh i kind of approached them and said you guys want to start a company here and we all decided to do it and so we started it. Our, our we started without a client we actually started um and kind of hung a shingle out, and then started looking for for work. And I do not recommend that in the in the sort of height of a recession. Yeah. Uh, but our our first project was Nortel. Believe it or not, we were doing strategic and creative work for Nortel um, to help them through their bankruptcy. And uh, they had just they were just going bankrupt at the time. And so again, I don't recommend that. I don't recommend <laughs> you get a client. It just
0: <laughs> a client is going bankrupt. bankrupt. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, uh,
0: and your your uh, I love your sort of uh, your ethos of helping brands we believe in connect with people through shared values. Yeah. Uh, to, where did that come from? And and how, is that something that you learned at one of one of the places you you were? Um, how did that come about as a as an ethos? I think
1: it's you know uh, again I don't I don't ever want to try to make it some kind of noble profession or some kind of noble mission, but I think we get excited by things we believe in and if if i have a a maxim for this business it's like be benevolently selfish you know mm-hmm. do the things that you want to do um, you have to work your way into it you have to earn that but advertising is 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 a business that allows you um, a great amount of of flexibility with what you want. You can, you can phone it in and make a living. Mm-hmm. We all know people who do that. Mm-hmm. Or you can work yourself to death and make a living. Or you can move to China. I mean, you can just kind of do anything you want to do. Yeah. And I, that's what I love about this business. And um, I hope that never changes about this business. But I, you know, I kind of grew into feeling like um, we owe the people we're talking to a little bit more. Um, and that, is there, you know, can we be an agency that helps clients deliver a little bit more than Mm -hmm. just sales messages? And, you know, I take, I take shit for that sometimes by people because, um, you know, there's a, there's a, certainly a strong force in this business that gets threatened by that maybe, or, but just says like, you know, screw you, it's about selling, it's about selling all the time. I agree it's about selling, it's totally about selling, but, but if we have the opportunity to create shared value for people with what we do, why wouldn't you do that? I don't understand why you wouldn't aspire to do that. And so it's not every time and it's, you know, it's not, it's not what the business is built to do, but I get tremendously excited by brands that do that. And I get excited by the ability, kind of getting the ability to help companies do that.
0: What are some of the brands you think are are doing that right now? And and they could be your clients or, or others
1: well it's funny, so many brands are trying to do it and just you know getting killed and i it it really comes down to are you are you you know are you making it up and just trying to tack on some kind of message you know of, um, a good example is like what Mcdonald's just got killed on on you know the women's day international women 's day yeah mm-hmm. for for what they did um, and yet, you know, it's sort of a noble thing they tried to do, but, you know, yeah. you, you've got to make sure that, you're, that that's aligned with actually how your company operates. I don't mean to pick on that.
2: No, but... but I actually uh, thought that was
1: kind, of a, it was kind of a cool idea, you know, but, but it, 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 it wasn't backed up by an infrastructure or a brand. Uh, there no, There's sort of no alignment of values around that. They've got people that don't make the money they should make and all those things. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah you've got to make sure so, that you're walking the walk before you talk the talk.
1: Yeah. So, I, you know, I... I I would almost rather talk about the brands who shouldn't be able to do it, but are. You know, I think the one, probably the one that I admire the most right now, kind of contemporarily, is what Always did, Mm -hmm. Um, where that brand um, is. You know, everybody loves to say like, I don't want to have a relationship with my toilet paper. You know, screw this, screw this stuff. Well, actually, except when it. When you do, you know, yeah. and a lot of people got involved in that in that campaign. And um, as a father of a daughter, I was glad that conversation was happening. And and they all they did was say, you know, this brand is about confidence. It's completely aligned with who they were and what they were about. Yeah. And and they did a campaign about confidence. Yeah. And so that's but that gets down to a functional level of what that product's about. So so I love that, you know. But but I also I love I love um, and I I have had. Great fortune to work on companies, uh, work for companies where, sort of at the boardroom level, they're concerned with, um, with what their impact is, yeah. in the world. And so that's the kind of brands we get really excited about. But we also we want to help companies. You know, some, sometimes the impact you're having is just great communications That's engaging and involving people. It's, it's not like you have to save kittens. You know. Right.
0: Right. I love the uh, the Polaris uh, Duel campaign that you did. I think yeah. that was that was at your yeah. agency, right?
1: Uh, that no, was that it. was actually at McKinney. That's oh, a, that was that, at McKinney. That was a, so that, yeah, but it's one of my favorite things we've, well, that I've ever been a part of.
0: Yeah, it's fantastic. Because you know. talk about that. What was the? How did that come about? And, and talk about the idea.
1: Yeah, well, so the idea um, for for it was called the Duel. and uh, you know, it really came out of a strategic uh, imperative. Thing. Everybody in the in the category was saying that they're the tough, they're the toughest. You know. Yeah. ATV in the world. Also, everybody said it. And uh, and uh, at the time, the, the CEO of uh, Polaris was this forty eight year old guy who who rode every every machine Polaris made. He would ride them to work. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you kind of looked around the industry, most of the other CEOs were these like seventy two year old corporate businessmen. Yeah. And so we said, hey, you know, why don't we have Tom challenge all the other CEOs to a duel? on their machine, like put them on their machine. They can pick whatever machine they want. They can do whatever they want. And then we created a, a course uh, that, that um, people could, um, could you know, name what they wanted the actual impediments to be and things like that. And we FedExed out all these letters, these these dual challenge letters, and we filmed the whole thing. And yeah. there was a website that you could go to. And at the time, it's funny, this is before Twitter, man. Yeah. So that's how old this, this campaign is. <laughs> I think it was like 2004, you know, whatever. But we were using user groups and uh and you know chat rooms and things like that so yeah. at the time but
0: you were way ahead of the, your time now the now the president of the united states is uh challenging everyone to a duel <laughs>
1: on twitter <laughs> to a duel yeah. challenging america to a duel <laughs> yes yes but uh yeah but but uh but it was it was a really fun campaign and it, and it, it uh you know polaris was the talk of the atv industry for for the first time in a long time at the time they, they'd sort of lost some of their kind of you know Moxie at the time, and and they they got it back, and they they dealers were talking about them again, and and that sort of thing. And it wasn't that expensive of a campaign.
2: No, yeah.
1: it's, it's, a, it's a great it's a great example of sort of the again talking to the passion of the of the category, but doing really great advertising. There was there was just there was there was great writing in that. Yeah. You know, there was great design in that. Like it was that was very well crafted work. And, yeah. uh And yet it was just tremendously fun, and it was created by writers for writers. So
0: yeah and did you did you uh, did you have to ride the AT- how did you how did you do some research on that were you uh, were you a rider at the time did you force yourself we, into it and-
1: yeah we had we actually had um, we had these kind of uh, classes that we did with dealers around um, around the area here the the whole everybody on the team we also had victory motorcycles which was part of that as well and we had motorcycles that uh, anybody could check out in the in the agency, if you had a license, you know you could get on the motorcycle and, and take it out, take it home. That's cool. Um, yeah, and so um so most of the most of the people were definitely riding. I, I think calling them riders is probably you know that's a that's a subset of humanity that probably a couple of us were, but right. uh, I, I certainly was not what you would qualify a rider. I wasn't going out every weekend and doing that. But you know, you get on it and you have fun. And yeah, it's fun. And we were, yeah. It was it was a, a great brand and a great thing to work on. It was really
0: fun. Yeah. When you uh, when you come to uh, how is your how is your process? And you probably don't do as much writing now as you used to do. But when you were writing, what was your process? And how did that how did it evolve over time? And
1: I, you know, I'm I'm going to get this wrong because I, I'm it's it's in the midst of time. But I think it was Ed McCabe who said, "Arm me with the facts." You know, yeah. and I always just loved sort of, um, uh, telling truths and telling stories, you know, like it, it, at the end of the day, all we're doing is telling stories and, and if they're real and if they're, um, if they're resident, they work, yeah. you know, and, and if they're well-placed and, and, and if they're put into the right place in front of the right people, that's, that's really the simplicity of this business. And in fact, there's more tools now to do that than there's ever been. Um, and so, you know, there's an awful lot of sort of marketing machinery that has to happen around that. A bad campaign can still work with the right marketing, and a great campaign can fail with with the wrong marketing. So, yeah. you know, at the at sort of the product level, but it, at the end of the day, like it's it's about telling resonant stories. It's, it's really as simple as it can be. Yeah. And now, now we can tell longer ones, and and uh, and you know, and that's a curse too, because there's so much bad storytelling right now that, you know, it's it's. It's no different than it's ever been. Ninety-five percent of everything is
0: still fixed. <laughs> yeah, well, there's just so much to write and create now, you know? Um, yeah. So yeah. much of uh, clients are doing it in-house. A lot of their stuff, they can't, you know, have the agency do everything, so they do it in-house, or they have several different agencies. Um, yeah. what What's the—is that good for the industry? Is it—like, uh, wh- what's the future of that going to be? And, and how, as a young person, how do you— do you just focus yeah. on what's in front of you? What's the?
1: Well, I will say this: you know, um, the industry. I don't know when you. I got in in 1985. When did you get in? 92. Yeah. So you know, for me, it's like 2052 or something. When someone's been in the business as long as me, I, I'm no yeah. I'm mathematician, but it's yeah. something like that. Yeah. And uh, so I, anyone who says they know what's coming, I think, is is bsing. But yeah. I do think. Um, there's more advertising the, the advertising industry and advertising have, are there are two different distinctions there. There's more advertising than there's ever been, and mm. we're assaulted by it to a point where I would not doubt if uh, I would not doubt if uh, um, there's some kind of bill of rights or something. I mean, it's getting it's getting ridiculous, you know. Yeah. And, and this Facebook thing that's happening right now yeah. is I think great that it's happening because it's been a long time coming.
0: Yeah, we um, have to deal with it, right? Um, it's
1: crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. We're being assaulted. Now, at the same time, the industry sort of models are just kind of getting killed, you know? Yeah. I think I read I read some a stat. It was like 18% an 18% decrease in revenue went to uh, ad agencies in new business new business revenue went to ad agencies last year, something like that. I'm yeah. google it, but you know, that, that I don't think that trend is going is going to reverse. I could be wrong. So I think it's incumbent upon us as agencies and creative companies to figure that out and, and to work through that. And as an independent agency, it's hard because you have nothing backing you up. Right. But at the same time you have nothing sort of sucking money out of you and stopping you from, from sort of doing anything you want to do. So yeah. Yeah, you know, we'll we'll see where that's going. But I it's a it's a great time to be a creative person. It's a, not their best time to be an agency. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So, but I think as a creative person, like if you're good, you're good, yeah, and, and you'll you'll make it and you'll be valuable. So, so I think creative people are in a great in a great position.
0: Yeah, uh, and and they can create their own brands. I mean, um, yeah, outside of the agency and and use the you created Pony Saurus brew, Brewing Company. Talk about that Correct. a little bit and what, what yeah. where did that come from? And
1: yeah, so so well, I have to go back to nine years ago when we started the agency. We we wanted to create our own brands, and so. The very first year again it 's go back to two thousand and nine like there 's no economy <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah.
1: every headline is you 're going to lose your house and, and <laughs> you know unemployment and all yeah. that stuff. so we started the agency and we also were trying to start a chocolate bar. We had this idea for a chocolate bar and uh, and I just in at three months in pulled the plug, and was like we can 't do both we 've got to decide, and one of them's going to make money faster yeah. than the other one, and so we did the ad agency but uh, but we always had it that we wanted to create our own brands, and we always said we'd create our own luck and uh, and so we were, we were, you know, it was a really vibrant brewing community in North Carolina, mm-hmm. and uh, we, we went and talked probably to two or three different of the breweries here. And they never had any money. They had no money. And so right. we were like, well, we're going to end up funding these companies just to do the work. That makes no sense to me as a capitalist, which I am. Yeah. And, uh, and we said, you know, I, I, I think I came back from a meeting once and kind of threw my pen down and went like, you know, fuck it, we're going to do it ourselves. We should do it ourselves. Yeah. And uh, an art director named Sean Sundholm at the time said, I know someone. And he introduced me to Kyle Jansen, who's our brewmaster. And uh, I met with Kyle about two weeks later, and we just sat down and had his beer, and it was fantastic. And he said, you got to meet Nick H. Johnson, Nick Hawthorne Johnson, who's my other partner. And we met, and it was just, it was just complete kismet. And uh, we started the brewery, and that was about three and a half years ago. And wow. uh, it, it's it's. Grown twelve times in the last three years, and uh, I think we're going to double in size again this year. And um, it's just been—it's been an adventure. It's been really fun.
0: You hooked it up to sort of uh, culture at the time by sort of making it. Uh, I think the first one was Golden Rule Ale or something, and it was—it's was about being yeah, nice, we, nice to people.
1: Yeah. So you know, again, it's—it's uh, it's, this is getting back into creating shared value and, and living your. Living your point of view, and, and when we started the brewery, one of the important things for all three of us, of the founders, was we, we wanted to see if we could use beer to build community. We're like, like, how can we use like make a great beer, but how can we also build community and support community? Mm-hmm. And so HB two happened in uh, in North Carolina, which if, if uh, you guys don't, if people listening to this don't know what that is. It's known as the Bathroom Bill, mm-hmm. and. Regardless of, of where you are morally on that, because I I do understand both positions. Right. You know, I understand both sides. Uh-huh. It, it was terrible business. It was just bad for business. And yeah. and, uh, and 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 uh, I also we didn't feel like it was we didn't feel like it was right. You know. So mm-hmm. um, my my actually partners actually came up with the idea with another brewery here called Mystery. Um, to they said, why don't we create a beer, a, a collaboration beer. And we'll sell it, and we'll give the, the proceeds to uh, LGBTQ causes. And, uh, and so we, we named it uh, Don't Be Mean to People. <laughs> and there were 40, 40 breweries across the state got involved, including New Belgium. and I mean, everybody
2: got wow. involved in it.
1: And uh, we ended up raising about $50,000. Uh, and now the, the, the beer is now still for sale at our tap room and across the state in Cairns and it's the uh, it's I think it's our third or fourth biggest seller, and uh all the profits still go to uh l g b t q causes. so and it's it's just a really cool brand. I think one of the questions that we've kind of been thinking of like is what well, what else can we do with that brand <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know yeah um because it can be bigger than beer so
0: yeah um, don't be mean it's a good message
1: yeah, and it's again it's trying to live our values as a as a brand and kind of practice what we preach as a brand and not just sort of talk about that sort of thing so um, and uh, and yeah, and so it's a it's a sort of a sub brand of Pony Saurus that's still available, and yeah, and,
0: uh, it's a it's a really good beer. What so, what is the difference? Uh, why did you start your agency in in North Carolina in Raleigh? Uh, and is it because you were down there for McKinney? Uh, and you started. Yeah, of I go to back anything.
2: to. Yeah, I go back to
1: benevolent selfishness. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I I, if I'm going to start an agency, I'm not going to move. Right. You know. Yeah. And I had my kids were twelve and. I think, I think at the time my kids were 11 and 9 or 12 and 10, you mm-hmm. know. And I was like, I'm not going mm-hmm. to move. I'm not going to move. I'm not going to go, you know, move them to New York City. I'm not going to – and I was like, you yeah, know, we can build a company. It doesn't matter where you are. We can we can build a great company. Mm-hmm. And uh, and there were fantastic people down here. So um, so we, we just did it. I mean, that literally is why we did it here and, um, you know, haven't looked back. So –
0: how do you recruit? Yeah. What's your, what's your, what's the difference our, for, for think, a young person working? And yeah. you've worked in New York, you've worked in Portland, you've worked in uh, yeah. everywhere. Uh, what's the difference? What are you, what are you giving up? What are you getting?
1: Yeah. My message would be this to, to younger people like, you know, A, look for a boss to work for. Mm. Don't just look for a company. And B, go somewhere where I think number one is look for a boss, look for a great boss. Yeah. Um, because that's why you're going to learn. And that's how I learned. I, I had great bosses, and I had a great partner who slapped me into shape. You know. Yeah. And, uh, but but the other is um, what I would advocate for a smaller place is you are not a number. You cannot hide at a smaller place. You yeah. go to a bigger place and sort of blend in. And, you know, depending on the place, and you can't do that at a smaller agency. And uh, a lot of younger people have asked me. You know, when you're trying to recruit them, they'll say like, uh, "Well, what am I going to get from my portfolio for the next two years?" And I'm like, "An agency." You get an agency in your book, you know? Yeah. Um, you're literally going to be on everything. I mean, you, you get, you're just on a ton of stuff. It's not all going to be good, and everybody mines for, you know, everybody mines for gold, everybody mines for coal. You know, that's, mm-hmm. how, that's how a smaller company is. But I think that's wonderful, and, and you just get, you, you know, you're in you're in meetings with clients in the first week. I mean, you're not ever stashed away or hidden. You know, you get to... You get to touch everything, and to me, that's that's my favorite experiences in advertising has have been at smaller places. I've worked at really big agencies, and I've worked at at smaller places, and I much prefer the kind of smaller feel of being able to have an effect on everything around you. I yeah. love that. Yeah, you know. So, but you know, I, there you know, there's that sort of. I think for for the kids coming into the into the business, there's that one kid that they know that they hear about that goes, you know get to the Nike Super Bowl spot in their first four months.
2: Yeah. You
1: know? Yeah. It happens. That's wonderful and, and I think that's great, but that ain't everybody. You
2: know? Yeah. yeah.
1: And uh everybody else I think look for a great boss, look for a place where you can make a difference and, and, and
0: be a part of something. And what are you I'm I'm uh conscious of our time. I think we're we're coming yeah. up on uh on time. But uh what are you excited about uh moving moving forward this year or next year or what's what's going to be uh the thing that you're focused on?
1: Yeah, well, you know, um we I, I became the the full-time CEO of the agency last year and uh we hired uh, Russell Dodson as our new ECD. Oh, yeah, I
0: worked with him at uh at Crispin, I think, down in Miami. Yeah. I was freelancing there for a month and uh Basically yeah, stayed up great. all night with him a couple of nights. I
1: think. Yeah, he's great. He's great. Yeah. And, uh, so I, I think what uh, what I'm most excited about right now is uh, we can we get in a room, we can get in a room and take on anybody right now. Yeah. I Feel very confident about that. And so um, we're trying to you know I, we talked a little bit about the challenges of the industry. We're trying to build more doors into the agency into the agency itself. And so um, what I'm focusing on right now is you know building. Building new, you know, we, we have a we have a media department. We didn't have a media department five years ago, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. um, and we we just started building it about five years ago. And so, like, there, there's building more doors into the into the agency is tremendously exciting and really fun. And being able to help clients and affect them at different levels has been has been really great. So that's why I'm putting a lot of my time into right now, and still completely being committed to creativity. And I do think you know a creative a creative Person founding an agency is is just different for an agency than if it's not a creative person founding agency. You know, I'm not dissing agencies that aren't, but right. I think there's a there's an orientation. No one ever has to explain to me the business case for doing great work. You right. know, right? Um, and so I I still love that. I still just get really excited about um, about seeing great work happening.
0: Mm. It's just
1: still so fun. You know?
0: Yeah. It's uh it's magic to yeah, to watch it, it happen. It is. Uh, it's alchemy. And yeah, and you've you've been there uh through everything from the long copy ads to uh I, I also love the world's sweetest coupon that you made for Krispy Kreme. <laughs> I just think uh yeah, thank it, you. if you can if you can put uh donuts into technology, then uh, you've you've really done everything. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you've done it all. Uh yeah. so yeah, we'll 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 put links to all that stuff. Uh oh, wonderful on the on the um the follow up. But uh anything else that uh, I didn't ask you that uh
1: no, I, listen, to I'm, a, I'm actually, a, I'm a big fan of yours, actually, and I'm a fan of your agency. You guys do great work. Oh, thank and, you. Uh, it's a real, yeah, it's a real honor to be on here, and, uh, and I think you're providing an important voice to these.
0: To these kids getting in. so its great we're so happy uh, that you agreed to do it and even though I, I couldn't do it a couple of times <laughs> you still came back uh, thank no, you for, good, for spending the time with us um, yeah absolutely thank and, you and uh, yeah and hope to hope to meet you soon and talk about yeah, talk sure. more about Howard Gossage and so if you're ever I'll in New York, uh, please stop I'll by. I'll be in, in May. I'll
1: be up there. I'll oh, be up for, the one, for the one show.
0: Oh perfect! We'll yeah, let's do that. Let's make a let's make right, that man. a plan. We'll we'll have a follow up. Maybe I'll record I it. it, it. And everybody can have a drink with us. Uh... <laughs> I'll bring some pony Taurus up. Oh perfect! I love it. Yeah, I want it. a six pack. for my office. Yeah, I'll bring office. up some beer. Uh, uh, right. Thanks, David. All right, man. Have a great, great day. To you. Bye. Thanks, man. Bye bye. So that was my chat with David Baldwin What a guy! I had never met him before, I'd only really read about uh, his stuff, I will put a link in the show notes to all of his work and his agency, uh, really, really cool place if you live, uh, or if you want to live in Raleigh, North Carolina, and if you if you're down there, check it out, I can't wait to meet him in May, he's going to bring me beer, which is, you know, I love beer. Thank you again. This has been the A List, brought to you by AdHouse Advertising School. I'm Tom Chrisman. Thank you for listening. Please rate us and subscribe us uh, to the subscribe to the show uh, on iTunes uh, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you want to be interviewed from an upcoming episode, contact us through adhouseNYC.com. Lauren Slaff uh, will be happy to talk to you, and uh, and we'll get it going. Thank you, and until next time, uh, see ya.